The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Hello and welcome to the Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2 and Shot Clubhouse. I'm Kay Holland and we have a brilliant lineup of guests for you today. First up, we have Sophie Downey from the award-winning women's football platform, Girls on the Ball. Back with us, we have sports journalist and author Nancy Gillen. And finally, we have women's sports journalist and producer Emily Keogh. A big welcome to you all. Hello. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Great. Thanks for joining everyone. So the big news over the last week is that Serena Wegman has extended her contract as Lioness's manager until 2027. Serena started the role in September 2021. She guided the team to its first major trophy when they won Euro 2022. England also reached the 2023 World Cup final, which they lost to Spain. She said, I'm so happy to have the chance to lead England through to 27 after an incredible two and a half years. It does feel, doesn't it, that despite winning the Euros, Serena still has unfinished business? Yeah, it does. I would... um. I would argue she does. I think last year at the World Cup, there's so many obstacles came up in England's way on the way to the to the tournament itself, and then obviously on the way to the final. And I think, imagine what she could have. I think she probably feels imagine what she could have done with everyone fit and a fully stre- full strength England squad. So I think she feels that she's got to go go at it again, as it were. And I think, I mean, she was always going to stay for the Euros. I think next year, so it just gives her another bite at the cherry for the World Cup and the Nations League and. To try and see through a next generation of, of England stars, I think that's the next job for her. And she's actually got a real opportunity to do that this time around because she's got time. And if you look back at her last two major tournaments, she's had no time to really prep or do anything. She's just had to to go with what she's got. So you would like to think that after European qualifying, so that finishes in, in the autumn, she will have a few windows to you know start uh, trying new players, young players, just testing the waters. It won't mean they walk through for the, the the European Championships next year, but at least she's starting to to figure things out as we go into the next cycle of, of tournaments. Absolutely. Thanks, Sophie. Uh, Emily, Nancy, do you share Sophie's sentiments? Yeah, I completely agree. I think when we a few of us went down to speak to her after her new contract announced was announced and she was very adamant that, you know, she wanted to stay and that there was more she wanted to do and that she felt there was potential and growth. And I think a lot of the players within the squad currently are still waiting to hit their full potential. You know, they're coming up, but the players like Lauren Hemp, they're still really young and they've still got a lot of time left. Um, And I think her ability to work with them for another three, four years will only grow that further. So I think there's a lot of potential there that she wants to continue with. And I think it's a great it's a great thing for for England fans that she's sticking around and she's done so well. So I think it's a a, a nice kind of way to start the year off. And yeah, I think um another shot at, at the World Cup with a full squad, as Sophie said, is is her best case scenario. So yeah. Yeah. And of course, there's now a possibility that the current Chelsea manager, Emma Hayes, who's obviously going to take over the United States national team in May you know, she could now face Serena at the 27 um, Women's World Cup. That would be exciting, wouldn't it, Nancy? Yeah, it would. I feel like it's every England fan's worst nightmare, to be honest. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that's a really, really exciting prospect. And I agree with what everyone said here. And I think the unfinished business point is is quite important, especially because she also lost the 2019 World Cup final. And 
probably her best chance of, of winning the next one is to stay with a team that she's already kind of worked with for a couple of years and like everyone said kind of develop the players so probably her best chance of beating Emma Hayes USA at a World Cup is is to stick with England so hopefully she can get that job done. Watch this space thanks everyone so the Women's Super League is back after its winter break the action kicked off on Friday night when Leicester City hosted Aston Villa with the visitors picking up a vital victory. Rachel Daly's 16th minute strike was enough to give Carla Ward's side victory and Villa's win was just their fourth in the league this season. The result means that the visitors jump up to seventh in the WSL table, while Leicester, now winless in their past eight games, dropped to ninth. Um, well, Aston Villa, they had a nightmare start to the season, losing their first five matches. But Carlos Ward's side seemed to have turned their form around, haven't they? Yeah, they 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 have. Um, they've they've, you know, they've put it put a few a few run runs of results together. I think, and they they could that winning on Friday was really really important for them to, you know, kickstart their twenty twenty four. They had a really disappointing cup game against um Everton the week before, where they just didn't turn up at all. Um, so I think it was important. It was like rough conditions. I think at Burton it was windy. That pitch isn't isn't particularly great. But they managed to get the job done. They were put under pressure by Leicester in that second half, but they they held out and it wasn't pretty. But at the same time, they're they're moving up the table and that's what they want. And you know, I think we put a lot on a team sometimes that finishes does really well for the first time. So they're their good year last year. We suddenly expect them to be, you know, challenging for the champions or getting European football. And in reality, it never really works like that. If you look at the history of of, of that position, getting fifth. Um, Tottenham, Everton, they've always dropped down the league. So if they can maintain this kind of into the second half of the year and get fifth or sixth, I think that will be a really, really good year for Carla Ward and, and what she's doing at Aston Villa. Do you think that Rachel Daly is perhaps the key player for them? I think potentially. I mean, it's quite an interesting squad because they've got so many kind of big players. And a lot of, I think when you look at their squad, it's, it is interesting because, yeah, they've they've kind of, gone up quite fast in terms of the players that they're able to attract and that's probably Carla Ward as a manager more than kind of ask the pedigree of Aston Villa in, in women's football um so I'd say she's she's key for them in terms of she's that player that can get them out of a situation like she can sometimes score goals from nothing and you know she can make the difference a lot of times and I think last season maybe they overperformed because she was kind of scoring goals when she you know her her goal scoring was so good that she was you know, getting them wins when maybe otherwise if they had a less effective striker, they wouldn't. Um, but they, yeah, I, th I think, you know, they've got players like Kirsty Hansen, Kenza Darley, people like that who can also really, really kind of, if they perform well, can also help Villa get back up the table. So, yeah, I think they need Rachel da Daly firing, but they've also got a lot of very good players elsewhere in the squad as well. Well, we talked there about Villa starting the season poorly, but they're now on a good run. And, and thanks to players like Rachel Daly seem to have turned it round. Uh, the opposite is true of Leicester. They're now winless in eight. Should Willie Kirk be worried, Emily? I think Leicester are still in a bit of a developmental stage. I think Willie Kirk came in and, and basically had a massive repair job to do last season. And he came in in a really difficult situation and did a really good job in the winter window last season and again in the summer to bring in players to bolster the side but it's a learning curve and I think it will take a bit of time to gel that all together I think there's a lot of positives and that's the good thing is that you can see what they're trying to do and it's 
guess just that bit of efficiency that's lacking. But you can see what they're trying to do. They have really talented players within that squad and players like Missy Goodwin that are growing massively under Kirk. And I think it's just a bit more time they need. I think there's a few little tweaks that they could make that would, I guess, turn them out results and see out games because they went through a couple of games where they had draws that they should have won. But then again, they had it when they went to City and that was a really, really close contest. So I think it's uh, this period of time now is about building on, on the potential and, and what they've started already. Um, I wouldn't be too worried in terms of I don't I don't think they're going to slip back into a relegation battle this season. I think they've started well enough that they've given themselves a cushion so that they won't be too worried about going back into fighting out of 12th and 11th. But I think building on what they've started will be the key and, and just maintaining the consistency that they did have at the start of the season and just seeing out games and trying to clinch late goals or score early to, to keep hold of their advantages. Um, but it's been positive from them. And I think that's the key. Great. So don't don't push the uh, panic button just yet. No. Um, OK, on to Saturday's WSL game, which saw Arsenal beat Everton 2-1. And it was a comfortable victory for the Gunners, who are now in second place and level on points with leaders Chelsea, having played a game more. Arsenal struggled to make the most of their controlling performance on Saturday, but the exciting January edition of Emily Fox and the return of key players like Beth Mead that's got to be a major boost for the second part of the season, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think actually people have underestimated Everton maybe this season. They were really well organised. Um, so I think people thought coming into this one that it should have been 3-4-0 to Arsenal. And on the balance of play, yes, they dominated and they created the chances for it to be so. But Everton were actually really organised. So I think Arsenal had to work really hard to break them down. Um, and they they managed to do that, I think, they have scored goal, goals in a variety of ways. They're starting to really add that variability variation to the way that they score goals. I really like the Beth Mead one. I think the way that Leo Volti came out to the left and the way that he uses, Jonas Adevel uses his midfielders to to support the attack is really important. Um, so you're seeing really positive things from Arsenal. It was essentially a must-win game for them. So it really didn't matter how they did it. Just as long as they got three points, that's all that matters because they couldn't drop three points to Chelsea um, and then suddenly find them like six points behind the, you know, the champions. So they got the job done. They've got a big week ahead. I know they've got um, the Conti Cup and then the game at the weekend as well. So um, it's just starting off 2024 on, the, on kind of the right foot, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, Emily, did you have something to add as well to that one? Yeah, I was similar to what Sophie was saying. I think Everton is quite easy, I think, at the start of the season, knowing that they've had troubles with transfers and money, that it's quite easy to write them off. But they have a lot of potential and they have a lot of skill within that squad and it's using it in its right way. And when they do gel, they put on really good performances. Saturday, a lot of it was Arsenal in control for periods, but as soon as Arsenal lapsed and Everton were able to get comfortable, they were pulling tacks together and, you know, got a goal from it. So I think it's really easy to kind of write teams off when they haven't had a good string of form, but that's not indicative of, of results. So I think, yeah, it was a, a good game for both sides, really. And I, I think the result reflected the fact that, you know, Arsenal had a lot of opportunities that they just were squandering. They couldn't take them. And I think that's been a bit of a narrative 
so far this season of they've had lots of opportunities they've had lots of chances but they just can't finish them and maybe that's a, a key area of worry if they are going to push for a title charge but there are a lot of positives and like you said with Emily Fox coming in that was a really exciting moment when she nearly scored and I guess there's a there was a little bit of lapse in communication that led to that Everton goal that comes from these new partnerships but it's exciting I think Beth Mead and even having Viviana Miedemar back on the pitch, it's such a boost for the players, it's such a boost for the fans. And I think Beth Mead especially really turned the narrative at, at the start of the season after quite a, a tricky start. And I think if they can capitalise on that and with Lee Williamson and Laura Vimoy to coming back as well, I think it has the potential to be a really a really nice season for them if they're able to, to just maybe take a few more of those chances and, and convert them. Yeah, just be a little bit more clinical, perhaps. On to Sunday's game. And the big game was the early kickoff between Chelsea and Manchester United at Stamford Bridge. And it was Lauren James with a funky new haircut who stole the show with a hat trick. Um, We've got a fun fact for you from this game posted by Five Live Sport on Instagram. And it's this. So Lauren James has scored more goals for Chelsea at Stamford Bridge this season than any member of the men's side. And um, yesterday was also her second hat-trick at Stamford Bridge in this campaign. Um, A couple of you, I believe, were at the game. So over to you for a bit of a match report. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, kind of United's biggest test. Um, I guess kind of just flipped the narrative a little bit. Chelsea are the one team that United have ever beaten and they're still kind of in their early days. And so they really needed to win today, uh, yesterday, sorry. Um, If they had been able to, they would have kind of put a lot more pressure on City and Arsenal. but with a loss kind of now stretched 10 points behind Chelsea. It's a it's a big hill to climb, but it was a, a very good game. Lauren James scored really early on, five minutes in, um, and her celebration kind of going over to the United fans, obviously former former player for United, um, I think was a little bit of, you know, Emma Hayes spoke about it in her post-match of saying that she enjoys, you know, the players and fans having that, you know, you're going to give it, you have to be able to take it. And I think it was a nice moment for her to kind of be like, well, and what, you know, like um, be, you know, coming into to, into her potential with, with Chelsea, I think it was a nice moment for her. Um, and of course, you know, beaming with smiles when she got her hat trick and um, understandably so. I think she was really impressive and I think Chelsea was um, just dominant. Um, it was really clinical from them. And there were moments, especially in the second half, where United looked to, to rebuild. But I think... Chelsea and Emma Hayes just knew exactly what what this game needed and um, Hayes spoke really eloquently in post-match about she made some some I guess kind of uh, strange changes to her her starting 11 that that people probably probably raised eyebrows at ahead of ahead of kickoff with Hannah Hampton starting in goal Neve Charles Mm -hmm. took the armband um, and I think you know she was saying that she has trust in all of her players and that they will she you know she's not one to shy away from making changes even in her final season. So I think it was really nice to see players being given some more responsibility. You know, Hannah Hampton had to rise to a big occasion. She's only played one league game since signing for Chelsea and, you know, starting at the bridge against United, you can't, it's probably one of the biggest occasions that you you have to rise to. And she did, and she did a really good job. And similar with Neve Charles, you know, she's grown into a really confident player and she's really coming into her own and being given the responsibility of captaining the side at such a big game as well will only grow her on pitch and off, um, which is really, really nice to see. So it was a very, very fun afternoon. And of course, Lauren James being as impressive as ever. And yeah, I think it was a really nice afternoon for her after having, you know, not the easiest start to this season, I think, coming into it. And and especially with no Sam Kerr, proving that she is there and she can step up is just a really nice narrative for the week. Yeah. Well, 
I was just going to ask you about that, Emily. So obviously in the absence of the injured Samka, do you think Lauren James will now go to the next level? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a void to be filled there. And I think there's a lot of potential within that squad. You've got me official as well. Obviously, hopefully we see Katarina Macario soon. I think there's a lot of opportunities where players can step up and and fill that that void that, that Kerr's leaving. But I do think James sees it as an opportunity to to really grow. And I think mm-hmm. I put obviously she's she played yesterday in the 10 and then slipped into a nine. And I think she's far more um clinical and I think she's far better playing as, as a 10. Um, however, the option is there to play her as a nine. And you know, if she's doing it consistently for this season, then there's opportunity there for her to develop in that role. But I do think she's seen it as an opportunity to step up and, and lead the side, which is for, for a player still so young is a lot of responsibility, but she's rising to the occasion. And I just hope this is a a really, you know, good and fulfilling season for her. Well, a great afternoon for Lauren James and for Chelsea, but for United, oh goodness me, should we be concerned for Mark Skinner? He says that United still have energy for the title race but there were Skinner out banners, weren't there, at yesterday at the game. So do you fear for his future? Um, yeah, I personally think this result might have, it's probably been the most damning, I think, so far. Not because they've lost to Chelsea, um, because I, that's probably to be expected if you're playing at Stamford Bridge away from home against the, the league leaders, but more kind of the nature of the result. I think, like Emily said, they did come back into it a little bit and there, there might have even been a, a point where it could have been too all, but they didn't really capitalise on those chances. But aside from that, the first 20, 30 minutes, they looked so off the pace and it just shows how far they are from being title contenders, in my opinion. Um, right. I, I do think there needs to be a little bit of, not maybe not sympathy, but leeway because of kind of the changes and the new players he's brought in. But I think... Just his tenure so far maybe suggests that he's maybe not the best at bedding in those those signings that come in. And there seems to be players that come in that don't really get played that much. And it's sometimes a bit strange. Um, so, yeah, but then on the flip side, I, I kind of think who would you who would you get in to replace him? I think the Man U fans that want him out would want this kind of big marquee signing with, you know, a manager with proven ability in the women's game. But even if you look at Chelsea's hunt for a manager there's not really obvious contenders straight away so you know why how long are you giving then Nancy how long it's a hard question I mean there's still stuff left to play for in the season for Man U so I think it would be a risk they can still get Champions League football and there's still domestic cups on the line so I think a mid-season change when there's no kind of like obvious contender would be a bit of a risk but I think at the end of the season if they're you know out of European football and they haven't won a domestic cup, I think you'd got to be looking at the trajectory of the club where they'd want Man U to be in terms of women's football and say this kind of particular project isn't working and then maybe think about making a switch. So I'd say end of season, but the pressure on him, I've never really seen pressure on a manager in women's football like it. So it's going to be interesting to see how the fans deal with that, how the players deal with that and how Skinner himself deals with it as well. Well, see out the season and assess then. Thank you. Elsewhere, Brighton and Hove beat Bristol City 3-2. Elizabeth Turland scored a 95th minute winner as Brighton edged past Bristol City to move six points clear of the Women's Super League relegation place. There were high hopes for Brighton after some strong business in the summer transfer window, but understandably it's taken time for manager Melissa Phillips to work out the strengths of her new look squad. 
Do you see them kicking on from this victory over Bristol City now, Nancy? Um, maybe. I mean, it's kind of hard, quite hard to tell because the nature of the result was, it was quite last minute. Um, so it could have easily been a draw. Um, and not no disrespect to Bristol at all, but I guess it's kind of if you're looking at your fixtures, that's the the match you'd probably expect to win. Um, right. so it, you know it might be difficult for. It, it will give the team confidence, definitely, but I'm not sure it will necessarily kind of change their fortunes around because just by nature of where Bristol are in the table, it, it was probably maybe a bit expected. Yeah, let, thank you. Let's get your thoughts, Sophie, because you were actually at this game, weren't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was. Um, yeah, no, it was, a, it was such a quiet first half. I think Brighton scored with their only sh- the only shot on target of the first, first half from either team. Um, so that probably tells the story of that first half. But then it just sort of burst into life in the second half. And I think the thing about Bristol City, like they're going to be really, really disheartened by the way that that happened. But they show so much character to keep coming back. They came back from behind twice um, to get their goals. They showed creativity, especially off set, set pieces. And they've got people off the bench who can do, can do damage. So um, they will be... It's, it's probably a real confident sapper because they did they worked so hard to get themselves back into the game. Um, I mean, I think Brighton this season, on the other hand, you know, they've shown a quality and they're in a development phase. It's like some of these other teams. They're showing a real identity about themselves and it's just needing a bit of time to bed themselves in. Um, they got in a lot of new people over the summer. Mel Phillips had what, like the first transfer window to to kind of make it her own. So... I think we can't expect miracles overnight. They're not going to reach Arsenal and Chelsea levels this season or probably next season. But the goal is to go up that trajectory. And they're playing a lot better than they did last season under our first hope pal. And then um, completely forgotten the name of the guy who came in, but that wasn't very successful either. Um, So uh, I think they are showing improvements and sometimes it's just the luck, the rub of the green as well. Um, I think when they have a scorer like Elizabeth Turland, she is ridiculous. And um, that was her the second goal made to the all-time top scorer for Brighton um, yesterday. She's been at the club for two seasons. Um, she's 22 years old. It's, it's just quite frankly ridiculous. So um, they've got her and she seems to love playing under Mel Phillips. She, they really have a great rapport, I think, a working good, really work, working relationship in terms of improving each other and and. Um, I think that's going to really serve them well for the future and going into the second half of the season as well. It's going to be um, going to be big too. They've got a big one next. They've got Chelsea next weekend. So it, that's the only problem with Brighton is they keep they get their victory and then they come up against a Manchester United or a Chelsea or an Arsenal. It's and it kind of slow going. Yeah. It dents their run. Um, whereas conversely, if you look at Bristol now, they've got West Ham at home next weekend and that is absolutely huge. I mean, that is... The high stakes game of the season so far, I think. Right. Thanks, Sophie. Uh, so moving on, Adija Shaw scored a hat-trick as Man City moved three points behind WSL leaders Chelsea with a dominant 5-1 victory over Liverpool. Prior to the match, Liverpool manager Matt Beard said City have probably been the best team in the league this season. And their display against Liverpool certainly supported that claim. But the Reds didn't help themselves by giving the ball away repeatedly and clearly frustrating Beard on the sidelines. I guess my question to you all is this. Man City have been overlooked by many for the title. Um, 
But they started the season in good form, despite going down to 10, then nine players in the first two fixtures against West Ham and Chelsea. And this this was a solid start after the winter break too. So where, where do you see Man City finishing, everyone? I've said from the start of the season that I think Man City would finish in the in the top three. I think they have had a couple of, of rocky years where they've just kind of small things and small margins have have been the difference for them. And they started last campaign um, with two losses and just never ran. They basically just ran out of time to catch up um, with only 22 games in a season. That can be detrimental. And I think we saw that. Um, but this campaign, they've started really well, I think. Everyone always said going into this season that the lack of players they bought in was going to be, you know, a massive problem. However, they retained so many key players and brought in. I've I've now called Gerard the missing puzzle piece because I feel like she slotted right in and she's just been in in full form since since joining the side. Um, and I think it's really easy to just look at the past couple of seasons and think City will go in a similar way and just you know struggle. However. With Lauren Hemp, Bunny Shaw, Gerald, all finding, you know, their peak form, it has been a really a joy to watch them play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think they will finish in in the top three. And I've said that since the start of this season that I thought this would be a season that they they really rebuild. And um, I think it's just really positive to see that that you can take a team that has so much potential and there is you're able to bounce back after a disappointing season. And I think not having Champions League has been a massive benefit to them as well. Um, they, I mean, obviously they haven't had it last season either, but they've had time now. They, they've they been a good place for the FA Cup and the Conti Cup as well. So I think it could be a really productive season for them and, and for Gareth Taylor as well. OK, top three for Emily. Over to you, Sophie. Where's, where do you see them finishing? I think they'll be top three. I'm not sure they can challenge for the title. Um, I think they might be third, to be honest. I, I think they've been one of the best teams consistently this year I do worry what happens if Bunny Shaw gets injured she was um picked up that injury at the beginning of the season um and what what if something happens to her or or another of their key players because while they have really like solid squad they they don't have that much depth in terms of he does use the same players quite a lot so um I think that would be interesting to see I do think he also sometimes struggles a bit tactically they are really good at the way that they play football um, and they do it really, really well. But sometimes when you look back to the Brighton game earlier this year, when they really frustrated them and kept them from to long distance shots and kind of protected their, their their box so well and Manchester City just couldn't break them down. Yes, they had their chances, but they, they just couldn't find a way through. So, And I, I, I also think their, their form against the Chelsea's and Arsenal's of the world. Arsenal seemed to have their number for the last couple of seasons. Manchester City definitely had Arsenal's number before that, so it seemed to have flipped a bit. Um, and mm-hmm. Chelsea, Manchester City and Chelsea is always a great game, but they never quite seem to to come out on top. So that's going to be key, I guess, in that in that title race. I am actually probably different to a lot of other people. I don't really like that he's kept a consistent squad. I would love to see them sign at least one person in January, because I think that shows ambition and it also gives everyone a bit of a, an extra kick or motivation to to make sure that they know that, you know, their places aren't quite set and, you know, you still have to to push to the next level and keep improving. So it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens. They've taken really good advantage of this run of, four, run of games where they haven't played a top tier, like a top, top four opposition. 
they've they've since beating United in the derby, they've had this run of games which they've really capitalised on. Um, and I think it's not until the end of February, something like that, where they actually meet another Arsenal, Ch- uh, Chelsea or Manchester United. So um, they've got to take advantage of that. The schedule's been quite kind to them. Um, but yeah, I've still got my reservations at times. But you're saying, sounds like still top three. Uh, over to you, Nancy. A different opinion from Emily and Sophie, or do you agree? Yeah, to be honest, I think I'd say third as well. Sorry to be boring. <laughs> um, I think pretty much kind of the same. Um, I think if I had to to like rank the managers tactically, I'd go with Emma Hayes, Jonas Adeval, and then Gareth Taylor would probably be at the bottom. I think when when it's kind of those those games that are more like a chess match or something, I think he normally kind of comes off worse. It is interesting though their matches against both Chelsea and Arsenal this season though. Um, there's been a degree of un like uh, they haven't been that fortunate. I think um, with with the Chelsea game obviously the bizarre refereeing um, and then the Arsenal game it was kind of like just a couple of goalkeeper mistakes and mm. you know it wasn't like they were really like mismatched throughout the whole match. So potentially maybe that those return fixtures you could see it swinging the other way. But I think. Yeah, at the moment, third and and also Bunny Shaw. I think a lot of it will will hinge on Bunny Shaw as well. And yeah, getting her to stay fit for the whole season um, will be pretty vital for them. So it was, I mean, a great afternoon for for Man City, but really disappointing from the Reds. And they're going to be need to be much improved when they face uh, face third placed Arsenal next Sunday, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- sorry. I'll just I'll just say quickly what I was going to say, but I think uh, Liverpool and Spurs have, have, for me, been quite similar this season in that they've got quite set ways of playing and it's very brave and ambitious. And I really admire both Matt Beard and uh, Spurs manager for kind of keeping to that. Um, but it means that when they play the big teams that are quite clinical and savage, they've they've been beaten quite heavily. So Liverpool saw it at um, Chelsea and then. Um, against City as well so yeah it's kind of been a bit of a swings and roundabouts for them they managed to get the result against um, Arsenal at the Emirates which was amazing but yeah I don't think you can be too disheartened with it I know Matt Beard was fuming on the bench but the results away from those kind of two matches in particular show that they've got so much to work on and, and build on yeah well let's see anyone else have anything to add on that one I was just going to add that um I don't think these journeys are, are linear. So some someone like a Liverpool, they're going to, they have the capacity to beat a top team like they did with Arsenal earlier in the season. And some days it will go really well and some days it won't go so well. And that's just the nature of the, the journey that they're on and where they're at. You know, this is their second season back in WSL. It's going to get take time to add that con- kind of consistency into their, into their form and, and their game. So, it's a learning process for them, but I think the fact I think Matt Beard pointed out in pre-match, you know, they took Chelsea, they beat Chelsea last season. They took them really close in the other fixtures that they faced them last season. Um, they've beaten uh, Manchester United this year and Arsenal, so they're making those right right steps. Is just making that consistently uh, winning now on a on a consistent basis. So that's the next step for them, as it is for all of these clubs who are trying to push push the top or push up the table. And in the late game on Sunday, an inspired Grace Clinton scored twice and set up another goal to help Spurs earn a 4-3 victory at West Ham in what was probably one of the best women's Super League matches this season. Spurs stay six, but victory moves them level on points with Liverpool and Manchester United, while West Ham remain in 11th 
with only goal difference keeping them above the relegation place. There was no lack of fighting spirit from either side in a pulsating encounter, but surely the concern for Rehan Skinner will be that it took going too behind for West Ham for these qualities to show. What do you think, Nancy? Yeah, I thought, well, it was a very exciting match and I think the wind made it even more interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I thought actually it was probably one of the best I've seen West Ham play this season. And I think some of their new signings, uh, specifically Christy Mewis when she came in, Katrina Gorey, they've brought those players in basically as a attempt to avoid relegation this season. It's kind of been a bit of an emergency signing, but I think it's definitely made an impact. Um, and yeah, West Ham sometimes this season have looked a bit listless. And although it took them a while to get into it and fight back, I don't think we've quite seen that from West Ham this season. So even though it was quite a frustrating loss um, and I think it was Spurs third goal, Grace Clinton's second, which I definitely think Skinner could have had a bit of a case to make about one of the Spurs players standing in front of Mackenzie Arnold. Um, so a bit frustrating, but I think there were actually like quite a few positives she could take from that match and going forward, have some hope for the rest of the season that they can avoid that relegation battle. So as long as she can harness that, um, yeah, I think there were quite a few positives for her. Yeah, um, and one of the ones, like, things I really want to talk about is Grace Clinton. She's on loan from Man U and she seems to be really thriving at Spurs and got her third and fourth WSL goals of the season with two sweet strikes. With Clinton in such fine form and plenty more to come from Beth England as she works her way back um, after hip surgery, do you think, Emily, that there's real reason for optimism again at, at Spurs? Um, and it was such a tough 2022-23 season. So things looking good now? Yeah, I think they have a lot of talent and they have so much potential. Um, and I think I really, really enjoy the style of play that Robert Villaham is introducing at Spurs. I think it's really fun to watch. And I, you can just see that his players are, are beaming with confidence, especially like Clinton. You can see how much she's grown with the trust that he's instilled in her and how impressive she has become when she's given the opportunity to, to do what she can do so well and I know Villaham said after the game that he would be stupid not to try and sign her permanently and I think that would you know if that happens it'd be a really good move for her to continue progressing under him but yeah I think there's so much for for Spurs fans to be excited for and to be optimistic about and I think as well with the likes of Martha Thomas and Celine Bizet as well who have some incredible goals in them I think it is really exciting for them and I think my biggest grievance at the first half of the season with Villaham was just not seeing out games. They would take an early advantage and then we concede a goal kind of midway through the second half when tired legs were coming in and then they just couldn't see out. They had about a string of three draws that realistically should have been three wins for them. Um, so I think if they can just slightly correct those margins and just be able to hold on to those advantages or score another goal to really give them a bit more of a cushion, I think they have a really good chance of finishing in that kind of six mid-table role. Um, but I think, yeah, there's a lot to be excited about. And I think I would really, I, I, I'm excited to see the day that we can get as many of the Spurs talents on the pitch at the same time and just see how many goals they could score. Because with England, Thomas, Bizet, Clinton all firing, I think that could be pretty special. The Women's Football Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Shot. More than just a sports brand, it's a movement. At Shot, we believe in empowering the underdog and bringing sport to every corner of the community. Introducing Shot Kicks, 
Enriching lives through football, starting right from the grassroots. Now launching in East Cambridgeshire, Shock Kicks offers football sessions for children from reception to year nine. And we're kicking off with a special focus on girls' football. But that's not all. Shot Lifestyle blends the spirit of sport into everyday fashion and soon Shot Clubhouse will be the go-to digital home for athletes and fans alike. Join the team at shotclubhouse.com and you can get 10% off with us when you use the code TWFPXSHOT. The Women's Championship also resumed at the weekend, so Durham extended their unbeaten run in the FA Women's Championship after earning a point against Lewis in a feisty encounter at the Dripping Pan. Bridget Galloway opened the scoring for the visitors, but it was not enough to leapfrog league leaders Leicester City as the hosts equalised after the break. Katie Rood's converted spot kick levelled matters just before the hour mark in Sussex as both sides had to, had to settle for a point. And we'll have a quick rundown of the rest of the results from the championship action at the weekend. So it was Charlton 3, Blackburn 2, Sunderland 3, Sheffield United 0, London City 0, Palace 2 and Southampton 3, Watford 0. Um, over to you, Sophie. Any of these results particularly catch your eye? Um, I think the championship is just a absolute wild ride at the moment. I mean, obviously the Charlton Black game, Black Blackburn game, um, that was quite a you know a goal fest as it were. Um, but I do think the championship is such such fun this season. You know, I can't actually predict who is going to go go out on top. You know, Birmingham didn't play this weekend. They are on such a good run of form. Advantage of that, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they they went top. Um, Southampton are still in the race, as are Crystal Palace. So, um, I think something like what three points or something or two points separate is the top four. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's a bit crazy up there. I think it's going to be. My eyes are also down the bottom of the table. That was such a big point for Lewis, um, because um, you know they they the two relegation spots listen. Um, so that really, really ups the stakes in, in that respect. And well, they need to try and close the gap on 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 kind of Sheffield and, and London City above them. So um, getting that point was really vital, especially with Watford losing. Um, Watford, I've I think, are in trouble. I've got to ask you about Watford because they're my, they're my team. There's nine games of the season remaining. Do you think it's all over for them? Um, I think it's really hard for them now. You know, they've shown some good stuff and I really like the signing of Carly Johns. I think she's because yeah. she came from Oxford and she's an absolute class player who really fitted in at this level, really does fit in at this level. But I think it's such a hard um, thing when you're coming up against teams who are have been up in the championship for a while, are basically professional or very, very semi-professional. Um, mm. And you're trying to make that leap from even if you are a semi-pro or pro outfit down in the WNL, FAWNL. It's still hard to make that um, that leap up um, and stay up. And I think um, especially with these two spots, relegation spots, that really makes it a lot tougher for anyone coming up from the from the, the third tier. So um, I do worry for them. Um, and it's a shame because you do kind of think these these kind of teams need stability and they kind of need the opportunity to well, they need the opportunity to be able to stay in the championship for a couple of years and work it out. But then I'm also for relegation and promotion. So it's it's a hard one to, to balance. But I also think because when the gap is quite severe from the FAWNL to the championship, you're then putting people back down into a league that 
where they will really compete but it's it's just a hard balance to get I think because then you just need to up the incentives a little bit yeah um at the other end of the table at the top end you mentioned how tight it is and how it's almost impossible to pick who's going to claim the the title uh, top spot um that being said Dan Pentland who we've had on the podcast previously he's gone ahead and nailed his colors to the mast and picked Birmingham to clinch the title um if all of you had a fiver where would you be putting it and why and let's start with Emily oh this is a hard one because it is so tight and I don't I don't know which side you got to pick one I I want I want to say Southampton because I have a, a big love for Southampton and I've done some really good work with them. So I'd want to say Southampton because I think they deserve it. Um, I think they've they've done well. So I'd say them. Southampton for Emily. Over to you, Nancy. I might say Crystal Palace. I think they've been the most attacking uh, in terms of scoring goals. Um, mm. So I'd probably say them. But I also am quite pro a team that isn't a Premier League club going up because I don't want the WSL to just be a mirror image of the Premier League. So I'd be pretty happy with Charlton, Sunderland, South, yeah, Southampton. Um, so, yeah, it's really tough. It's tough. It is a tough one. And then back to you, Sophie. Do, were you going to go with Birmingham or what do you reckon? I'm going to go with Dan, with Dan and with Birmingham. I actually wrote a preview before the season and I went with Birmingham as my winners. And uh, then I was re- feeling really stupid because they had such a really bad um, start to the season. I was like, oh, I'm going to look like an idiot. But um, no, I'm quite glad they've come good now. And I do think like the project under Darren Carter at that club is incredible. And what he's managed to do, you know, you think back to the the years of Carl Award when they got relegated from the WSL and they were had no facilities and no sort of support around them. And it took the players to sort of write a letter to the to the board and demand better. Um, I think Darren Carter is a Birmingham boy. He he knows what what the club is about. He has really good links with the the people higher up as well. So, um, and he's managed to recruit really well, getting in the likes of like Lily Ag in the summer, Charlie Devlin on a permanent basis. Um, and you've got like Lucy Quinn, who's um, technically one of the best footballers I've I've seen. So like, um, I think it, it's really really good positive signs. And once they get on a run, they did it last season as well. They got they they just made their charge for the the title too late last season, but they were kind of unstoppable in that last phase of the the, the campaign. So this time round, I think um, they started it a bit earlier, and it gives yes. them every shot at getting back up to that that the WSL, which is where they really want to be, and whereas a club of their history and stature should be. Okay, so you're backing Birmingham too, and you mentioned there that you'd written a preview at the beginning of the season, which has just reminded me. One of our contributors today is uh, about to become an author, our producer Luke tells us. So, um, Nancy, let's let's bring you back in and perhaps you can tell us a bit about the book you're writing and that's coming out later in the year. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, my deadline is next week, so I'm very, like, just sat in front of my computer all day, every day. Uh, but it's it's a lot of fun. Um, so it's, yeah, a non-fiction book about a woman called Alice Milliat, who uh, she's a French woman who was around at the start of the early 20th century um and she was just a very persistent and ambitious woman who campaigned for um women's athletics at the olympics and then when she didn't get that she created her own women's world games um and then she also created a a french women's football team and they uh toured in england and played dick her ladies and then dick her ladies came back and, and toured in france 
Um, so she, yeah, she was just a bit of a trailblazer for women's sport, um, but no one really knows about her. So yeah, so kind of. To, how did she come sort of on your radar then? Um, well, it was it was a job I had uh, back in 2019. I worked uh, for a website called Inside the Games, which is like Olympic news. Um, and one of the freelancers there was a bit of a sports historian, and he wrote um, about Alice Milia. And I read read the blog post that he'd written, and I was just really shocked that I hadn't heard of her before, particularly because of my own interest in women's sport. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of how. And then it's just kind of been in my head uh since then and with the olympics this year the first gender equal olympics in history and also in france it kind of seems like the perfect opportunity to publish it just before the yeah. game and hopefully have that as like a nice tie and yeah stars are aligned to bring it out and what's, yeah. the, what's the writing process nancy are you saying to yourself i've got to do x amount of words each day or yeah at the moment i am because i need to hit my workout by next week but i'm only a few thousand under now which is fine um, at the start, it was more kind of research, compiling research, working out the structure of the chapters. And then probably from about October, I've just been like, yeah, probably four, four days a week or so just sitting, sitting and writing. But like, I've, I've loved doing it. It's been amazing. So it's been fun. And we'll be able to order it via Amazon or where's the, where's the best place? To yeah. Yeah. So Amazon and any, any bookshop really. Uh, so it's going to be published by Pitch. So they normally put their books out kind of everywhere. So yeah, should be should I'll, I'll, when it's kind of all ready to pre-order and stuff. I'll be sharing the links. So if anyone yeah, wants and uh, we'd all like a signed copy too. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, congratulations and all the best with Thank the book. You. Thank um, you moving on to the National League. So the North Division saw Newcastle United suffer a rare league defeat, and it was their first defeat in nearly thirty games. Georgia Gibson opened the scoring on the fourth minute. But Alex Kitely equalised on the half-hour mark. And in the very last minute of the game, Charlotte Greengrass popped up to give Forrest a vital win. It means they move two points behind Burnley in second place, who they meet next week. Burnley are five points behind Newcastle with two ga games in hand. And the other game in the division saw Derby County beat Stourbridge 2-0. In the south, Ipswich moved into fourth after a big 6-1 win away at London Bees, who remain bottom. And Plymouth got a vital win. They won 3-2 away at Cheltenham. Um, we also want to say on the podcast a big congratulations to Emma Hayes, who on Sunday night became the first woman to win the Football Writers Tribute Award. So Hayes, as we all know, led Chelsea to a fourth consecutive WSL title last season, and she's going to become the next USA manager this summer. Under Hayes, Chelsea have won six WSL titles, five FA Cups and two League Cups since 2015. And they currently top the league after Sunday's 3-1 win over Manchester United. Uh, after she received the award, Emma Hayes said it's worrying, though, that she's the first woman to win the women uh, football, to win the tribute award, despite being the 42nd recipient. Over to you guys. Thoughts on Emma's comment. Is this worrying? Should we be worried? It's, Emily? I mean, it's, wor it's worrying, but it's just kind of the nature of where the sport has been at for so many years. You know, Emily and I were there last night I don't know if you were Nancy but um, I was looking around that room and I've been in some rooms where it's been very non-diverse in terms of it's been all male for a long time 
Um, and that room was very, very like quite balanced and it was really good to see. And I think that's a real positive. It is changing. And um, it's, I think the, the it's just going to take, it does take a bit of time, you know, as Emma said, when she was growing up, she had no, no one to look at as to whether to be a footballer or a football coach or, a, you know, kind of anything like, like that. And I think it was probably the same for all of us. Certainly when I was younger, I had no one, I had no idea I could be a sports journalist because yeah. no one, uh, no, on my gen- no, yeah, there was no one to look up to. They were all male and I couldn't be in, involved in football because it was a male dominated sport. And despite the love of the sport from the age of, you know, six, um it just wasn't allowed to be fostered in that way so I think the fact that things are are changing massively the the fact that Emma has changed the game in such a big way over her her tenure both at Arsenal um as assistant to Vic Akers but also at Chelsea and and that 11 years and really transformed the club and the way that she speaks on matters and topics and when when she has something to say everyone listens and that's really important now that we have people like that figures like that who can drive forward and drive change so um I came out of it feeling really really inspired by by it all and obviously we wish Emma the best but she's not going to stop advocating for the sport and for women in sport as well so I think that's going to be really important going forward and so she might be the first woman to win the award but not pave the way and not going to be the last and so who were you there as well Emily yeah, yeah, I was um I was uh, kindly invited by football manager. So I went down and, and had a really lovely evening actually. Like Sophie said, it was really nice to, to walk in there and see so many different people. Um I think a lot of us were quite concerned that we would go in there and it would be, you know, we've been to these events before and it, you know, it's usually a lot of men. Um that is the nature of, of football, unfortunately, at, at the moment. And we are making steps. But yeah, it was really encouraging to see so much diversity in the room. Um and especially kind of listening to Frank Kirby and Carly Telford, who also gave speeches and kind of how how much of a role model Emma Hayes has been. It really does make you realise how important she's been to, to women's football in, in England. And, you know, Chelsea, it's a massive loss. But I think in general, having such a, a spokesperson who you could speak to in press conferences and interviews and would speak so eloquently on topics, um, that... Now on the international platform, yeah. Yeah, um, but I think for us here the uh, you know covering the WSL and stuff week in week out not having a figure like that you know for however long until someone else steps up is is going to be quite quite hard I think um not having someone that is just so vocal to speak on things the way the way that she does um and yeah I think uh you know I had a chat to her after after it all and you know wish all the best of course and hopefully if we do get you know a, a USAV England final at, at the next World Cup that will be a I think a, a nice full circle moment. I don't know if my anxiety and my heart could take that, but um, yeah, I think it was a, a lovely evening honouring someone that has done so much for the game and has done so much for us working in the game as well. And, and the recognition is, is thoroughly deserved. Well, you guys are going to be busy. So you were out at the awards last night. And of course, there's a very busy um, week coming up with the Champions League. It's back. It starts on Wednesday. Um, I thought we could just have a bit of a recap on how it stands currently and the matches to really look out for this week. Um, Nancy, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely, I love this bit when it gets to the Champions League where you've only got a couple of matches and results can really swing things. Um, I think for me, it's the group Group C with Ajax, Paris, Bayern and Roma, which is just wide open. And I think 
any team could basically take that. It seems like the the results have just, you know, there's not one team that's dominating that. So for mm. this week, it's uh, Paris and Ajax and Roma and Bayern. So that's going to be really interesting to see. Um, and then I think Chelsea's group is quite interesting as well in terms of... I can see group Chelsea. D, that is. Yeah, they're hosting yeah. Will Madrid, aren't they, at the bridge? Yeah, and I can I can see them winning that and probably winning the group. But I think it's this little battle between Hacken and uh, Paris FC. Paris FC being the giant killers and got those kind of really big results even to get to the group stage. But then Hacken have also been uh, quite impressive as well. So I don't think I think everyone would have looked at that group and been like probably it's going to be Chelsea and Real Madrid. Um, but they've both Hacken and Paris have got a chance to get to the knockouts, which would be incredible. So yeah, they're the matches I'm keeping my eye on. But, but just going back to that Chelsea-Real Madrid game, um, the Blues obviously top of Group D currently and Real Madrid are bottom. So given that and given Chelsea are playing at home, surely they've got to be confident of getting the result? Yeah, I think so. Um, they are. They got their noses in front just before Christmas and that was vitally important, that game away to Hacken, um, which was a proper like obstacle, I think. It could have been a real obstacle playing away in those conditions on a on a kind of 3G pitch. Um, uh, so they got the job done. And, you know, when Emma Hayes' teams get their noses in front, they rarely let it slip. And they have a point to prove as well that that game away in Real Madrid really frustrated them. The refereeing decisions in that game, they were done by two really, really bad refereeing decisions. And that I think they, I um, interviewed Johanna writing Canarid last week, and I think they, they feel they've got... Um, you know, to take a bit of revenge, I guess, at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday. And Real Madrid are, are not in great form at the moment. So, um, and if, a win will mean they progress to the next round, which is what, you know, what Chelsea need and want in the ultimate goal. So they're my favourites on Wednesday, I think. Um, I think the trip away to Paris will be interesting the following week. Um, but if they get the job done on Wednesday, then then they should be absolutely fine. Yeah, it has. I mean, it really has been such an interesting group stage, though, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I've done a lot of the games actually. I've been because um because of only Chelsea being in in the competition from England. I've actually taken the opportunity to to travel around a bit and and do a few others. So I've been to like Benfica. I went to to Brann as well in Bergen and to see a lot of different teams, kind of up and coming teams, get a flavour of what they're like and. I can only say from what I've seen that the the competition is increasing every year. Um, the gap is definitely, you know, kind of narrowing. I know you look at like Leon, Barcelona, and they're always going to be several steps ahead. But um, between the other teams, I do think you know it was a real contention in in Group A and B who was going to become the second team to progress, and that's not easy. And for those teams who do get through to the quarterfinals, that's going to be a huge boost for them, a huge boost for their supporter groups and. You know, I I I think um it can only you can see what's happened to Roma this year. They're really challenging in Group C after that 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 run last year to the quarterfinals. I think it was in the Champions League. So, um yeah, positive things all around Europe. I think you can see teams are really investing and really care about what what's going on. Um, so yeah, it's really been been interesting to see. And it's it's not just going to be a busy week in the Champions League. There's also action in the Conti Cup this week too. I mean, so in Group B, there's a Manchester derby at the Joy Stadium. In Group D, Reading host Arsenal. That's going to be an interesting game for sure. And in Group E, Championship Championship side Birmingham will be looking to test themselves against WSL side West Ham. And then finally on Thursday in Group D, there's another intriguing tie when Southampton take on Spurs. 
Any of those that pique your interest? I think for me, after, you know, we were chatting about the championship and who we would like to see promoted, I think Birmingham facing West Ham is a really, really exciting matchup because especially if they are to um to to be promoted, that will be a, a really interesting tie because West Ham are, are struggling at the minute. Um and I think I really enjoy kind of top side championship ties v v WSL. I think it's really interesting. I know Nancy and myself were down at Southampton um a few I don't know what it was. It feels like everything drills into one at this point of the year but a few months ago and and that was such an exciting game so I, I really enjoy seeing those games and I think similarly with Southampton and Spurs that would be a really exciting game and I think the Conti Cup games no I don't think WSL sides go into it thinking it's going to be an easy game anymore I think at, at one point you know you you kind of assume the WSL sides would walk in and walk out with you know a very nice victory in some cases that happens however I think we're seeing now with the gap slightly starting to to shift that those those easy games don't happen anymore and that they are going to have to fight and, and play really well and you know I, I do kind of hope I always root for the underdogs so I do kind of hope the championship sides can can maybe take yeah, it too. take it to to the WSL sides and, and get some results but I think it's a, a really exciting week of football from the County Cup and the Champions League and and a lot to, to feel the appetite so it certainly is an action-packed week ahead. Um, but for the podcast, that's a wrap for this week. So a big, big, big thank you to our guests, Sophie, Nancy and Emily for joining us. If you're on social media, we'd love you to give us a follow. We're on Twitter at TWFP1 and we're also over on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. The Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Her Game 2.